In recent years, there has been huge fascination with the Shroud of Turin. What is that, I hear someone ask quietly. Uh, well, it depends on who you ask, actually, uh, what the Shroud of Turin is. Uh, to some, it's more than just a three-meter linen cloth. They believe the Shroud of Turin is the actual burial cloth that the Lord Jesus was wrapped in before uh, he resurrected from death. The shroud itself is kept in the Roman Catholic chapel of the Holy Shroud. No surprise there. <laughs> in Turin, um, northern Italy, this is in Piedmont. And on this shroud, there is an image. On this shroud, we stand image. It's almost like a photo negative of someone. Uh, on this shroud, many of these people, of course, the people who own the shroud, uh, believe the person imprinted on there is Jesus. And they believe that photo negative uh, was done during the resurrection and it left that on there. Uh, people have tried to figure out why there is even a photo negative and there are all sorts of mysteries. So there's one camp that says there. There's another camp that says, no, it's fake, actually. In fact, last year, some experts said their analysis showed the image on the shroud was left by someone standing, not by someone crucified. Their analysis, of course, came after another group of experts in 2017 said, the person there must be Jesus. These are scientists arguing one another. The person on there must be Jesus because their analysis showed the person on the shroud of Turin was tortured, and it seems that the torture marks seem consistent with crucifixion. So, more money for research, and the scientists, of course, uh, are laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, but some people might ask, why does the Shroud of Turin generate so much debate? Well, the cynics, perhaps myself would say, just follow the money, right? Uh, it brings in tourists in Turin. And many of them going to, to see the, uh, the holy shroud, as they say. And that might be probably true. But I think one of the reasons is that people are genuinely intrigued with how Jesus looked while he was here on earth. That's what the issue is about. That's why the photo negative, so to speak, on the shroud fascinates us. People genuinely are intrigued. How did Jesus look like? We want a, a glimpse of the physical image or portrait of Jesus. But God in his providence has not given us that. Instead, he has left us something even better. God has given us four gospel accounts that paint a true, reliable, and accurate portrait of Jesus. With words. And actually, we are currently in one... So, so, sorry, I'm saying, in some sense, so you don't need to run to, 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 to Turin. To, if you don't know what Jesus looked like, well, just open the Bible. See him there, portrayed for us in the four Gospels. And the good news is that what, that's what we've been trying to do over the last 50 sermons. We're trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus as we go through the Gospel account of Mark. Because as we go through Mark, I've been struck, and I hope you've been struck, just how beautiful Jesus is. And immediately we get a sense that Jesus cannot be captured by a single photograph. You need these words, you need these accounts. We have four of them, because Jesus is just complexly beautiful. He's like a diamond. 
a beautiful diamond, more than a beautiful diamond. We look at him like this, like this. We need John's perspective. We need Matthew's perspective. And we've been now looking at how Mark sees the beauty of Jesus. And as we go through Mark, we've been seeing how beautiful he is. For example, in Mark chapter 2, verse 19 to 29, we had this wonderful picture of Jesus as the bridegroom. Right? The image of Jesus as the bridegroom who comes to, who is at his wedding, at his own wedding, and we are the attending guests. In Mark chapter 4, we are given a beautiful picture of Jesus as the sower, the farmer, who sows the seed of the word of God. And, and the Bible is reminding us, every time you see a farmer, think of how beautiful Jesus is. How he's sowing the word on the good soil. It should force us to ask, am I the good soil that Jesus is sowing in? Have I come to true repentance and faith? Am I bearing fruit? In Mark chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus is the lamp that cannot be hidden. He brings light to the dark places of our lives. And when we see the light like this in the building, we are immediately supposed to be reminded of the beauty, the wonder of Jesus. He wants us to see him even in the light. In Mark chapter 6 verse 34, we saw that Jesus is the shepherd who feels deep compassion for the wandering and scattered sheep. He longs to feed us with his word. In Mark chapter 6, verse 38, we saw Jesus is a heavenly chef who gives us lasting food for the journey. Throughout the journey of life, he has come to give us himself as the bread of life, to nourish us, to satisfy us with himself. He gives manna to the hungry soul, as one of the hymn writers say. And in the passage we're looking at today, we see again the beauty of Jesus. There's so much as you just go home, read, mark for yourself again, and just be immense by the beauty of Jesus. Because this morning we're seeing something else about Jesus. Another reflection of the diamond. Jesus is the heavenly doctor who comes to heal our lives. And we've seen something of this already. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, a passage we've looked at, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need for a physician. But those who are sick, I came to call the righteous. I came not to call the righteous, sorry, but sinners. Jesus, he's our, the doctor who comes to plaster the deep wounds of sin with his own precious blood. He comes to heal us. That's what we see throughout Mark, isn't it? He's reaching out to the broken. The hurting, we're wounded people. And today we'll see some of this in Mark chapter 6, verse 53 to verse 56. That's the main truth I just want us to learn. Just one single point this morning we'll see, we see in this passage. And it is this, Jesus is God bringing healing to our lives. Bringing healing to our lives. Please look with me at verse 53 there. Now, those of you who were here last Sunday evening, you remember that we left Jesus doing what? A water walk, right? At the Sea of Galilee. And we were amazed at the presence of Jesus. As his mere presence, he doesn't speak to the storm, he simply gets in the boat, and everything is dead calm. And we learned that the assuring presence of Jesus calms our lives. It brings shalom, peace in whatever situation we are in. 
And if we are, whatever we're struggling with this morning, if we're in Jesus, we learn that Jesus is in the boat of life with us. And we ask that question, can the boat sink if the Son of God is in it? Not a chance. Not a chance. That's what we saw Jesus do. And they were there, they, they just, everything comes. And the disciples now, remember, had initially planned to go to Bethsaida, right? That's what Jesus had sent them. But they didn't make it because they were distracted by the storm. And when Jesus gets in, they are now making their way now to Gennesaret. Um, there. That's why they have landed. They have landed, they were going to the northern shore, but they are now on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. The wind has changed their plans. And as they arrive, we see in verse 53 that they are, there's a welcome party waiting for them. <laughs> the self-appointed welcome party is there already. Let's read verse 53 to verse 54. When they had crossed over, that is, across over the sea, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. As soon as the people see Jesus arrive, words now start spreading like wildfire. And immediately the crowds are now pouring in from everywhere around Gennesaret to see Jesus. Let's read on. Uh, and they run about, verse 55, and they run about the whole region, um, they run about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they had he was. I just want to freeze for you briefly there that picture. Jesus has arrived. The entire region is now pouring in. People are running, bringing people to him. And as we freeze this scene here, what are we looking at? Well, we see Jesus surrounded by needy people. They are on mats. They are on beds. Some are crying out in pain. There is the worst forms of diseases on display here. It's like a refugee camp. Worse than a refugee camp where Jesus is. The deaf, the blind, the lepers, the bleeding, the paralyzed, the demonic, they are all here. Their relatives have brought them to see Jesus, not because they are suffering from headache or stress or some other issues. Those are difficult issues in our lives. But those are issues that can be dealt with. These are hopeless cases. To be brought to Jesus from somewhere far away, you've tried everything. You are like the woman who bled for 12 years. These are the sorts of cases. The, par- the paralytic in chapter 2. These are the sort of cases that have been brought to Jesus. They've tried everywhere. No one can heal them except Jesus. And they have come to Dr. Jesus to heal them. They're desperate. Now, we do not know, we are not told here how they have become like this, that they need help. But as we look again at this picture here, we can see that these people are no different from you and I. They are no different. Because they long for healing. We too long for healing in many parts of our lives. Now, some of the, the healing some of them are longing for is, is, is this physical healing. We also feel unwell. Some of you feel unwell here. And you're longing for physical healing in some areas. Some of them have mental health issues. And they have come to Jesus because Jesus can deal with that. We too have mental health challenges. The the, the, the situation they are in are perhaps emotionally chaotic. And we too know something of emotional chaos in our lives. And some of them are in situations that means they need relational healing. 
Some of the diseases they've had means that husbands and wife cannot live together. Disease has fractured marriage. Some can't work because of what they're going through. It has fractured that. We know something of this as well. We know the woman who had the 12 years of bleeding couldn't even go to the temple to pray. We know that some of the challenges we have, some of you in your suffering, are kept from fellowship. So we can relate to that. We know a dear sister can't come into church this morning because she's unwell. So we know something of disease cutting us off from even functioning before God. We all need healing. And as I like to say, you know that already, right? And you're immediately asking, yes, we know. Thank you, Pastor, for reminding us of the obvious. So why are you doing it? And I think I'm doing it for three reasons, right? First of all, you face strong temptation to ignore the need for lasting healing, right? You know you need healing, but you face the temptation to ignore it, and you express this by filling your life with temporary forms of escape. Why do people have addictions they can't shake off? Like endless TV binge-watching, alcohol, retail therapy, pornography, hobbies. Why do they have these issues? It is because all of these, are, you see, are temporary are attempts by us to numb the pain. These things are simply expressing our attempt to heal ourselves from whatever problems we face. They are at our own attempts at this. So you need to be reminded of that because right now you are probably filling yourself with these things because you're trying to escape facing up the need for deeper healing in your life. Secondly, you need to be reminded of this because you forget that the person sat next to you also needs healing in their life. That's the reason. You forget that the person who's sitting next to you right now in this room needs healing, no matter how old they are or how young they are. You forget that as you sit here, someone here is probably worried about their health, and they need you to hold their hand through the pain. Someone here is probably struggling with feelings of unworthiness and other low feelings. And he wants you to notice his unhappiness. Someone here is probably wrestling with an addiction that they can never share with someone. And it is privately tearing her life apart. She needs you to remind her of her identity in Christ. Someone probably has a strain in their family or work relationship. Something in their marriage or their, their, their family life is just so heavy, so difficult, pressing on them that even as they are here, they are struggling even to think of the wonder of Christ. And that person is crying out to you to cry with them before God, to fill the void, to help them look to Jesus. They need your prayers. And as we come here, we come like consumers often, don't we? We come for us and we forget the person next to us. And so we need to be reminded of us to look beyond ourselves. 
And that brings us to the third and final reason. I'm reminding you of this. You need to remember that we all need healing because only one person can truly heal us. We need to go to Dr. Jesus as the people are doing here. Did you notice here? What's happened is that the friends and relatives of the sick have heard that Jesus has power to heal us. And they are going to Jesus. They are carrying everyone there. Let's look at uh, verse 56. And they are encountering Jesus as he walks around. Let's read on verse 56. It says this, And wherever he, that is Jesus, came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they led the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garments. Now this is important, right? You need to get this because there's a cultural gap here. We don't know what this fringe, what is this fringe of Jesus' garment? What's going on? Why are they touching this thing? Well, in Jesus' day, you see, men wear linen tunics, not suits or anything else like that. They wear linen tunics, right? That freely fall from the shoulder uh, to the ankle. We see some of the Arabic wear we see on television. And this Tunics they wear, these garments, have um, at the bottom uh, fringes along the bottom helm, right? A bottom M. And these fringes really, they're, they're strings that hang from there. They hang particularly on the four corners of each, these fringes. And they contain within these, uh, these, these hanging fringes, so to speak, a, a, a blue thread. What's that about, right? All of them do, right? And this blue thread there actually is meant to remind the person wearing the, the tunic to obey the law. Strange, isn't it? They need that clothing reminder. Uh, it's like you wearing a t-shirt that says, read your Bible. <laughs> and you bump it to everyone and say, what is that, what is that about? Are you reading your Bible? And you answer yes. So it's a bit like that, right? It's meant to remind. And when you see it in others wearing it, yeah, you're like, yeah, I need to obey the law, read my Bible, obey the law. That's what this is about. That's what that is about that Jesus is wearing. It's not a fashion thing, right? It's not doing it because it's some fashion trend. Uh, he's seen it on Twitter or something. No. Jesus is doing it because God commanded it in the law. Numbers 15 verse 38. You can look that up. Or Deuteronomy 22 verse 12. It's in there. It's commanded. Wear it like that. This is your fashion accessory that points you to God. God commands it. So that's why Jesus is wearing this thing. And the people touching the fringe, you see, this is important. This is the key point. You see, in ancient Israel, this is the thing, the fringe of the garment, actually for the rabbi wearing it, represents his authority. Because by the rabbi wearing it, he's saying, I obey the law. I'm teaching the law and I'm showing it by wearing this tunic with the hem on it. It, it, it. So as someone who knows and obeys the law, so to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment, actually, it is to reach out for his power and his authority. It is actually the same as touching Dr. Jesus himself. And our Lord Jesus, as they touch this fringe, graciously extends healing and power to them. Let's read on verse 56. It says, And as many as touched it were made well. Not because the power resides in this magic clothing like the sh- tr- shroud of Turin or something. It's not supposed to be some sort of shroud or, or, or that sort of thing. No. 
They are touching it because by touching it, they are reaching to Jesus himself. This is a symbolic touch which Jesus responds to. And as they touch it there, we see, notice what he says in verse 56, and as many, as many who ever touched it was made well. Just like that. With a touch, they are being set free from lifelong pain. For some, the simple touching of Jesus' fringe garment, fringe of Jesus' garment has wiped away tears they have carried ever since they were toddlers. Just with a touch. For others, touching Jesus has not just made them well, it has taken away the indignity, the pity, the disgust they had suffered at the hands of others because of their illness. And for others, the healing hand of Jesus has lifted the burden of judgment and punishment they had felt. If they were lepers, they had this sense that they were under God's judgment and they'll go around crying, unclean, unclean. But with the touch of Jesus, the judgment of God, the symbolic judgment is lifted. They can breathe again. Some are seeing the world for the first time. They were born perhaps blind. And now they have touched the fringe of Jesus' garment. And all of a sudden, they can see the world. Others are able to utter the words for the first time. Perhaps words they uttered when they were toddlers. Now they can utter them. They can praise God with their tongue. Relationships are being restored. If a woman was a leper, she has been brought to, perhaps been brought to Jesus by her husband. Now she can hug her husband tight. Before she couldn't hug him. A father couldn't be with his children because of leprosy. The power of Jesus is restoring the heart. It is restoring the body. It is restoring relationship. Families are being put together again because they have reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. All of this and much more is possible only because Jesus, our heavenly doctor, has entered this world with limitless healing power. The power of Jesus generates waves and waves of healing that are mending physical, emotional, and mental parts of their lives. And it is not just this healing power of Jesus that makes him unique. It's not just the power. Notice here also, it is the reach of his compassion. Here is a savior who is touching the untouchable. Dr. Jesus is allowing those with leprosy, skin diseases, menstrual bleeding, and other diseases, as I've said, people who are bad from society, to touch him. And they are touching him not because they believe he's God. That's quite important. They haven't come to that position of faith and trust. Many of these people will not even follow him after this. And Jesus knows that. But he's dishing out grace. He's dishing out mercy. Because he's our heavenly doctor. Our compassionate doctor. It doesn't stop him, does it? Because he says, And as many as touched it were made well. Jesus is getting his hands dirty for free to people who not even follow him. This is how much Jesus cares about our brokenness. And the good news of this passage is that this is only the beginning of the beauty of the healing of Jesus. Because these healings of Jesus are pointing us forward to Jerusalem, 
where our heavenly doctor performs the greatest healing miracle ever. And it will never be repeated. After three years, Jesus enters Jerusalem. He is betrayed in the hands of sinners. He is rejected, abused, crucified. And all without doing anything wrong. So we ask ourselves as we see him there wounded on the cross, why is the Lord dying there? Because he has come to take on himself all your fears, all your pain, all your brokenness, all your shame. And he has come to nail them to the cross. Jesus is a sacred hand. Head who has been wounded so that through his nailed hands he may heal us of sin itself and grant us shalom, peace with God. The prophet Isaiah saw it 700 years before Jesus and he prophesied, he said this in Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 7, 4 to 5. Surely he that is Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought God was punishing him for his sin. But Isaiah says, no, he's perfect. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the bruising, the crushing that brought us shalom, peace, and with his stripes. We are healed. The blood of Jesus is the plaster that seals our wounds. Our spiritual wounds. Jesus has come to heal our spiritual sickness of sin. And give us that shalom, as I talked about. Harmonious, flourishing relationship with God. Beloved, if you're going to knows anything from Mark is that Jesus has not just come as a physical or mental or emotional health doctor. He can do all of that. He has come as a great physician of your soul. He is a physician of souls. To heal your very soul. He has come to heal that number one problem you face. Your problem, all of these things you are facing in your life are important, but they are proxies for a deeper problem you have. Your soul is sick, and Jesus has come to heal it. To heal that brokenness of your rebellion against God. You need his death to be made well, and he has brought it there. And by his death, Jesus on the cross has taken on the ravages of our sin. And in exchange, gives us a new, flourishing relationship with God forever, as Isaiah spoke about. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And if you surrender truly to Jesus, you get this healing. You are healed by Jesus, spiritually. True surrender. I'm not saying the sinner's prayer. True surrender to Jesus. Jesus heals you spiritually. He gives you this peace. Based on his death on the cross. And if you are already, if you are trusting in Jesus, that's the starting point of whatever situation you're facing. If you're a believer, you start from here. I've already been healed of my biggest problem. Right? I'm going around everywhere saying that. I've already been healed of my biggest problem in my life. 
Spiritual, the, the spiritual sickness I suffered, the biggest problem of God in my life has been dealt with. That's the position of the believer. And that means, regardless of what's going on in your life, your life is actually flourishing. Of course, the devil will tell you otherwise. Now, if you've truly repented, your life is flourishing. It doesn't matter what I think or what anybody else thinks. That's what God says. And that means that you already actually have inner peace. Your inner life has been healed. Because Isaiah, when he talks of shalom, he's talking not only with peace with God, but also the peace of God. Your inner life that was broken has now been put together. God has put his Holy Spirit in your heart. He, Jesus now lives with you. You can say with Paul, he himself is our peace, my peace. And this also means that whatever broken situation you find yourself this morning, if you are in Jesus, there is always hope for that situation. There's always hope. Because God has already taken care of the biggest problem you have. So whatever challenges you have, physical, mental, social, relational, stress at work, or whatever it is, Jesus is able to move in that situation. And as a child of God, you can be confident that he who allows the unbelievers to touch the hem of his garment, surely he will allow you to touch it. Because you belong to him. If this is how he treats people who don't believe in him, imagine how much he cares for his own children. Jesus is your Lord and King. So go to him with whatever situation you are facing this morning. He still cares about your needs. He is still your heavenly champion. He is still your heavenly doctor who has come to heal you in every situation. Now Jesus is God, right? Let's get that right. So we cannot demand anything from him, right? Even though he's our father, we can't say, God must do this for me. And yet, we are his children. And as parents, many of us encourage our children to come to us. If, if I encourage them to feel the freedom to, to a degree to demand, to, to, to want and ask us for things. To remind us of the things. Right? He loves you beyond measure if you belong to him. And in the scriptures, Jesus actually encourages you to cast all your burden and hurts and pains because he cares for you. Peter says, cast all your burdens on him because he does what? He cares for us. So let us bring our lives before him. Let us cast them before him. And let us do this not just for ourselves, but the the encouraging thing in this passage, it is others who are bringing others to Jesus. And so we can bring our, our wives, we can bring our children, we can bring our husbands, we can bring um, other people who need healing, who need restoration in their lives to Jesus. We can touch the hem of, we can encourage them for themselves to touch the hem of the garment. Or we can just ask the Lord to work prior in their lives, as he always does by his grace. It is him always at work, and we can ask him to intervene. That's an amazing thing. If you have somebody unwell, if you have somebody who's really struggling, this is your encouragement. Get that spiritual bed and take it to Jesus, so to speak. Get it and put it before him. 
Take them to Jesus. You can't post them, but you can pray for them. That is our spiritual transport, isn't it? Prayer. And as we as a church join hands in prayer, the Lord notices, isn't it? And he begins to move in the lives of people. The Christian songwriters, I come to an end, just want to remind you that the Christian songwriter, Michael Card, in one of his songs, encourages to do just that, to lift our sorrows and wounds before Jesus. He says this, if you are wounded, and if you are alone, if your heart is cold as stone, if you have fallen, and if you are weak, then come find the worth of God that only the suffering seek. Come, lift up your sorrows and offer your pain. Come, make a sacrifice of your shame. There in the wilderness, he's waiting for you to worship him. How do you worship him? Michael Card goes on to say, worship him with your wounds, he says, for he's wounded too. I think if I was paraphrasing what Michael Card is saying, is that Jesus is crying in Gethsemane for you right now. Join him there. Pour out your tears before him. Because he knows your pain. Touch the hem of his garment. And you move in your situation. Let us accept this invitation to go to him, our heavenly doctor, the physician of our souls. Let us touch his garment in faith. Amen.